what is going on ladies and gentlemen welcome back to another edition of the jays for days podcast i'm josh he's josh we got jays jumpers jaron jackson jr's john Morant, joe johnson's jaw raps of course it's been a minute josh how you doing yeah you know we had our intestines and invaded and moved around <laughs> and things so have not been in the greatest health which is the delay for our podcasting and communication so i appreciate your patience and support of but course we're back and we get to highlight defensive players during this podcast so i'm very excited oh do we is that oh, we is do. It? <laughs> apparently we do um but uh, yes yeah, so it, it's been a couple weeks but uh, of course health and uh recovery uh take priority around here so if if uh, the energy's not there, then it's not there, and we push it back, and now here we are, and just in time for uh, the good stuff. The good stuff, and perhaps you know you'll get those people. You, the, the conversation of you know you, you have those people who say I like conference tournament week way better than I like you know the first and second rounds of the NCAA tournament. So like that's the type of week that we're talking about here that we're on the precipice of. The regular season has concluded. There have been several tickets punched to the tournament already uh and of course the big the big six conference tournaments in particular starting later this week not a full conference tournament preview podcast we'll do that on wednesday um so we'll get to that part sort of before we get right into the deep of things uh before conference tournaments really get rolling but uh plenty to talk about uh that happened over the last few days but uh, it's a Monday, and then regardless of how long it's been, we still will start our Monday with winners and losers. Josh, who's your winner this week? Or the past, like, 14 days, whatever you got. Yeah, I mean, we can just throw it in for both of them. Yeah. They fit the criteria for either of those. It's the Memphis Tigers. We are, we are in bubble time, and the Memphis Tigers have delivered during said bubble time. Got double-digit wins at South Florida and then beat Houston again in a balanced effort in which Tyler Harris led the team with 15 points. They they don't, they just all score, you know, 8 to 12 points. It's, it's kind of a nice thing to watch. They have lost once since January 20th. That was at SMU, another bubble team. They are 10-1 and in their last 11 games and went from catastrophic, as we discussed at nauseum, to – these guys are very close to securing basically if they do what they're supposed to, they're going to make the NCAA tournament. And quite frankly, you're not going to want to play them. And Amani Bates is not there. Who knows what happens moving forward with that, but everybody else is. And however you may feel about Penny Hardaway, he said, everybody else gets time with their teams to figure this out. Why don't I get time with mine? And you got to give them credit. He got the time and they have figured things out. With all due respect to Penny Hardaway, I would gladly play Penny Hardaway in the first round of the NCAA tournament. There's gladly. also that there is that part of it that there is a lack of experience there, sure. They but are three hundred and fifty second in turnover yes, percentage. They, they don't take care of the basketball. I will yeah. gladly take Memphis and their inability to take care of the basketball. But the thing the thing about the right it's undeniable how consistent they've been over the last, you know, month and a half month and some change 
Um, and it's not like, cause like, you know, part of me was like, yeah, well, Houston's kind of, kind of dropped off. Right. No. I mean, they lost to Memphis back on February 12th, but then went on to win six straight. And only one of those games was decided by fewer than 14 points. That was an overtime win against Wichita state on the road. Now they still so haven't beaten anybody, but no. they're taking care of business. Right. So, but it's, you know, they're still fifth at Kempom somehow. Somehow. It's quite impressive actually. Um, Kim Palm's having a weird year. Yeah. We're like, how is LSU still a top 20 Kim Palm team? Yeah. How? Anyways, uh, I digress. Um, yeah, it is right. We're officially in that. Okay. Which teams played themselves off of the bubble, played themselves onto the bubble? I feel like maybe Memphis was square, squarely right there on the bubble. And this past week was, are they going to slip to the wrong side of the bubble or slip to the right side of the bubble? You know, if you're standing in bubbles, bubble kind of slippery bubbles, slip one way or the other, there's something there. Um, but, I mean, we're talking about a team that between November 26th and January 20th lost eight times in that two-month stretch. And since then, has only lost once, has taken care of business in, in, AC, in AAC play, and all of a sudden has put themselves in the conversation for an at-large bid. Um, going into, I, I saw them in a couple of different places going into Saturday's game, Sunday, Sunday's game, Sunday's game, excuse me. Um, and would think that another one against Houston would be like, you just can't do anything catastrophic in the AAC tournament. And you're probably going to get in. It's not like you need to go and beat Houston again or go and win the tournament to get in. Of course, obviously they'd, you know, they'd win, they'd get in if they won the tournament. That's how these things work. Unfortunately to Josh's uh, yeah. detriment. Oh, we're going to uh, get there later. But uh, there's uh, pretty uh, indisputable that the Tigers had a, a big time week uh, and go into the AAC tournament with one job. And that's to win the games that they're supposed to win. And they're probably going to be fine, which is not a place I thought they were going to be nope. halfway through January. So shouts to Penny Hardaway shouts to the Tigers. I'll still play the Tigers in the first round happily though. <laughs> to be honest with you. Kind of in the same. Am I cheating? By picking a team that just won their conference tournament. Is that cheating to pick a winner that just won their conference tournament? No, I think I know where you're going. Loyal Chicago lost yeah. three of their last seven and went from the sort of cream of the crop in the MVC, the team that always takes care of business, the team that all the way up until the middle of February, I didn't think I would have to worry about needing to win their conference tournament to get an at-large bid but unfortunately with the way the end of their season shook up you know with a loss to Bradley a loss to Drake and a loss to Northern Iowa all since February 9th then to go to the tournament and beat you guessed it Bradley Northern Iowa and Drake to win the MVC um, of course those you know beating the teams that just beat you always a nice cherry on top but of course the more important thing here is it, I mean, they went in and completely took care of business in a conference where I still, you know, regardless of whether or not, 
you know, they didn't win the MVC, but I will still stand by Loyal Chicago being the best team in the MVC this year um, to go and take care of business. And it, it was here with their backs against the wall was a, was impressive. And it's not like they went in and just narrowly got by all of these teams. They beat Bradley by 16. They beat Northern Iowa, Iowa by 23. They beat Drake by eight, sorry, excuse me, six, uh, no, 58 points was the most points they gave up. They only gave up more than 50 once. Um, and again, that's a, that's another team that I'm, if we're talking about teams, I'd rather not play in March. Uh, I'd rather not play Loyola Chicago once again, which is just a wild thing that we've gotten to that. Like, I really don't want to see Loyola Chicago in the tournament. That's just a thing that we've gotten to at this point, but uh, shouts to shouts to the Ramblers go blurs for, uh, for what they did in the MVC tournament. It was pretty impressive. Yeah. Can, can do you want to save my MVC spiel for later? Or you want me to get it off my chest now? You know, I think, I think that's, I think that's a decision that you can, I'm happy to humor you now or, or later. Let's, let's, let's save it. Okay. Let's save okay. It. Yeah. We but no, save. I absolutely, to answer your question, I think that is absolutely valid. And part of the, it, part of my rationale is the reason I'm saying I want to save for later, but yes, they were on the wrong side of the bubble coming into this week, played games and regardless, obviously they're on automatically on the right side of the bubble now because of what they did. But even if this was not an automatic bid, they probably turned They might've turned it around to the point where they're at least had at least gotten themselves in the conversation to be on the right side, but absolutely they needed to deliver and they did. And the other thing I'll say right now, <laughs> Shaka Smart has some competition for the most emotionally invested coach in college basketball when his team is playing defense. Drew Valentine, he didn't squat. That man got on the floor in the NBC title game, one possession. And it cracks me up. He Clearly those players love him. They, what they did to Northern Iowa, and it was something like 15 minutes without a field goal. It was absolutely ridiculous what they can do defensively. And to their, you know, to defend them a little bit with the struggles, you know, they haven't been entirely healthy. They've kind of had some in and out trying to piece this together, but those are a bunch of guys who have been there for a very long time. They are very good. They are elite defensively, no fun to play against, and yeah, you're just never surprised that when push comes to shove, they they find a way to deliver. And this would be, and maybe I'll, maybe I'll stop there, and and perhaps you'll cover what I what just came to my mind to a certain extent when we when we get to it uh, in a lot in, in a little while. Um, you know what? You should just do it now. Do you have other yeah, things to say about the MVC other yeah. than? Or, or okay, you know what? Let's just do. We're locked into the MVC. Right okay, now. let's okay. just do it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just I wanted to talk about this a little bit because it's going to be the last rendition with this version of the conference, obviously, because Loyal was leaving and new teams are coming mm-hmm. in and this whole thing. And this was also a perfect example of a couple different things. First, this was a perfect example of why I am a firm believer in regular season champion should have automatic bids. Northern Iowa won this conference. The reason Northern Iowa is nowhere near the NCAA tournament conversation is because 
they, and we talked about this when it happened because I was very sad because I really felt this league could have three teams. And I think you, you did too. They had a terrible start to the season in part because AJ Green was working his way back from that injury he suffered last year. Then one conference player of the year and voila, here is Northern Iowa from a consistent game to game standpoint in the MVC is the best team in the conference. But I'm with you that from start to finish this season, Loyola has been the best team. That's why they were always the team on the bubble and the team in the best position and the team that played the most difficult non-conference schedule and looked halfway decent doing it. So this is one of those scenarios where, to me, this is how it should work. Northern Iowa should have an auto bid. I, I just, it frustrates me that we put so much stock in games months ago, as opposed to what's happening now. But also, Right. If you win your comp, it's not like winning a conference tournament wouldn't matter. That might still get Loyola in. Loyola has every incentive to go try and win that tournament because that might be the difference. If they beat Northern Iowa the way that they did, you're looking at that as the committee. You've got to say, well, that was pretty impressive. These guys are playing really good basketball. Look at some of the teams they've lost to your Michigan States, you know, the teams that they played in the things, you know, over Thanksgiving. Auburn was also one of those teams. And I want to say the third one might've been UConn. I don't remember off the top of my head. Right. So this can benefit. It's not like the conference tournaments wouldn't matter. It's absolutely still a way to play yourself into the tournament or move up seed wise. It's just the team that was more consistent over a longer period of time gets the auto bit. So this was an example of that for me. The other point I want to make is about the depth of this conference. So I said, well, real right, quick, eight, real quick. Yeah. Um, this is an argument for why the conference tournament champion should be the one with the auto bid. 100%. <laughs> because you feel Chicago, Loyola. Because Loyola, Chicago, yes, because I feel like Loyola, Chicago is the better team. Because, I, because at the end of the day, these two teams were separated by one game and Loyola, Chicago had injuries. If they're healthy, this isn't close. And you could also also argue that if AJ Green was 100% at the beginning of the season, Northern Iowa doesn't lose those games and both these teams are in the NCAA tournament. Sure. But I still think Loyola, but it, like Loyola Chicago not getting in to the tournament this year would have been a mistake. I'm glad that the, that the committee doesn't get a chance to mess that up. And that's fair. And that part of it is that the committee has a track record of doing things like that, because I agree they're an NCAA tournament team too. I would like to see both of them in. To me, it's not. It should be Northern Iowa and, over and, Loyola. And, it should be both. And with all due respect, Northern Iowa, like they lost to Nichols State, Vermont, Bradley, Richmond, yeah. Liberty, yeah. Wyoming, and Valpo this year. Yeah. That's that's one, two, three, four, five, six sub-90 Kempom teams. Oh, yeah. They were awful at the beginning of the season. Yeah. You got to win the. You got to find a way to win. Right. I don't have sympathy for them. This is not me saying that this was some terrible wrong. To me, this is just an example of this is how it could work in theory, where a team has a bad start to the season, gets much better over conference play, but the team that is also consistent from start to finish can get rewarded. Maybe they're not quite as good in conference play, but they do better non-conference, win the conference tournament, and both of them get in kind of thing from a mid-major perspective. That's my point. Do you think Loyal Chicago, if they didn't get the auto bid, would get in based on what they did in the NBC tournament? I think they'd probably be just on the outside, and I think that that would be wrong. And yeah, I you're you're probably right. Um, 
it's one of those things that typically I'm I'm here for the best team in the conference to get in. And, and this, this one is and, this one is complicated. And it just so happens that this year in the MVC, the best team, I mean it's indisputable. Northern Iowa finished 94th at Kempom. 94th. I mean, whether whether in, you know we can talk injuries or not, they still finished 94th at Kempom. Like Loyal Chicago was absolutely the best team in this conference. So I just, however we get there, uh, it doesn't matter to me as long as we get the better, because usually it's the other way around. Usually it's like, yeah, I mean, like, are you serious? Like the Northeastern conference that, you know, that team was the best team in the conference all year. Right. But they don't get to be in the conference. You know, okay. You know, right. Bryant at 204 would finish 15 and two in the conference, but like, you my, right, right, right. It's a, it's a, yeah, the five the seed being. in some random conference. Right, right. This is, and that's the other point I wanted to get to is, right. This, this title game was a three, four matchup. Now, that, a lot of that was the jumbled mess at the top and just tiebreakers. But Loyal, Loyal Drake was the three versus four. One team in this conference had two first team all conference players. You know who that team was? Who? Missouri State. Hmm. I also wanted to point that right. This is it. These are four really good teams in this league. And then the other thing, of course, I need to just give a shout out to Drake because these dudes try, they just can't catch a break. I feel like it's it, last year it was the injuries. And now, of course, the same players are injured again. Now they played, but Roman Penn's going to need surgery. Tank Hemphill is just not the same player. So I want to, I want to read you the minutes that they played in the overtime game against Missouri State in the semis and then against Loyola. Are you ready for this? These are the starters. Yeah. 41, 38, 39, 43, 40, 34, 38, 40, 29, 38. And that 29 was only because Garrett Sturts got in foul trouble. So mm. he couldn't play more or else he was going to foul out th- with mm. 10 minutes left in the game. Mm. It was a six-man rotation. I believe they had a seventh guy play two minutes in the title. Not only that, they gave up, I believe it was a 21-0 run, and were still within a bucket. I think they were only losing by two at halftime. I just – Loyal is the better team. I concede that. And it was clear as the game continued to go and they stopped turning the ball over. But to put in that kind of performance with essentially five, six players is absolutely remarkable. I just – I feel so bad for them. It's inspiring to watch how hard they play. And it is, and I think the thing about it is Loyola has the ability to break teams down, right? Whether it's Braden Norris shooting or Lucas Williamson getting to the basket, right? They can do things. It, everything is just difficult for Drake. And so, but they're still just hanging in there. And it, I just wanted to give them a shout out because they played so many, those guys played so many minutes and, just ran out of gas at the end and still were right there down four with a minute and 50 seconds left or something, but congratulations to Loyola. I am glad they're in. They are dangerous as always. And that's my MVC spiel. Who's your loser real quick. Ohio state uh, had three home games, went one and two losses to Michigan and Nebraska beat Michigan state in there. The game before those three, they lost to Maryland by 15. Mm-hmm. Of course, this is not a bubble thing. This is just a how to really damage your seed line and your standing going into Selection Sunday from, you know, 
borderline top 20 team in the country to we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. So they got some work to do to kind of regain some standing here heading into the NCAA tournament. Yeah, it's just a bad week to go under 500 on the road. I mean, at home, just just go ahead and don't do that. Yeah. I'll stay in the Big Ten, but go close, but go back to the bubble. My losers, IU. Not really, because like on the surface, like you should probably you should you need to beat Rutgers at home. That's just something you need to do in this particular week. Losing at Purdue is, and especially getting as close as they as they did, you know, also nothing embarrassing about that, but. I mean, we're five points away from, I mean, they, they lost these games 66, 63 and 69, 67. We're six points away from IU comfortably being in the tournament and, and they're just not. So as a result, they finished the regular season losing seven of their last nine with their only wins being on at home against Maryland and on the road at Minnesota. So since beating Maryland on the road, they've done literally nothing for their resume. Like they just like just go 500. How you had you know you had multiple chances to beat top 25 teams at home, and you know we pretty quickly went from nobody can beat you know IU's home court advantage is like a real thing this year to IU can't seem to beat anybody at home. I mean the only one they had at home since they beat Penn State on. January 26th, the only home win they have is Rucker, is, uh, excuse me, Maryland. Now, they welcomed Illinois, Wisconsin, and Rutgers to their building along with Maryland in that stretch. But the point is, like, if they just win one of those games, then they're probably at this point on the right side of the bubble. And now you have to go and beat Michigan in the Big Ten tournament. That's the, their first game uh, in the Big Ten tournament. Like, as of right now, I use on the outside looking in. And when you go back through their schedule, apart from a win against Purdue at home, it's another it's another year of of IU being incapable of like just getting a two or three really truly impactful wins. I mean, their best win is Purdue, and their next best win is uh probably Ohio state at home, which is a decent win, but like you got those two, but then, you know, they, they, that's pretty much it. And so it's just super. And, and, you know, as we went from demand is IU, like I use like a game and a half out of first place. They finished two games under 500 in the big 10. Yeah. It, it went, it went from looking like this is going to be different. Not that they're going to win the big 10, but that they're right. going to, they're going to flip that to be three, two, three games over 500 safely in the NCAA tournament right. to the same story yeah. that it has been every other season. Yeah. And, and, and we can, and they can bring whoever they want to in there. Um, but nothing is going to change in Bloomington until somebody figures out how to win more games in the big 10. Yeah. And right now, right. We're, we're very, very early into the Mike Woodson era. I'm not giving up on Mike Woodson, but I don't care what you do. I don't care how many times you beat Purdue. I don't care how many times, you know, we, whatever. The thing, the name of the game in Bloomington and the thing that is going to turn around this program that is no longer a blue blood. It's a historical blue blood, but not, no, but no longer a blue blood from the way it exists in the sport. 
it's i mean that's the name of the game in bloomington and this year like it looked like they were going to be able to do that and then they spent the last month and a half just losing and yeah. that in, in in that there's it's just unfortunate and then he, i'm a little exhausted around here living in indianapolis of you know they beat purdue once and it's like this is this is how iu basketball is supposed to look and this is and like you you backed that up by getting smoked by Michigan on your home floor literally days after, which was predictable because, you know, the hangover. But, and you haven't went, you haven't really won a meaningful game since. And that's, it's, it's just tough because like they needed to go five and six in their last, or excuse me, four and five in their last nine, three and six in their last nine. And they're probably in there in a much better situation. Um, but they didn't. So it's just unfortunate. And to get as close as they did, because right, they I felt like they had a decent week, relatively speaking, from a on court perspective. They didn't mm-hmm. they didn't embarrass themselves by any stretch of the imagination. They lost by a total of five points this week between two games. But it just kind of feels like we've been running in place at that point with IU is like, man, they're so they're so close to doing just enough. And now, you know, in, in a matter of a month, we went from IU very, very like it was really being in the conversation for contending for the Big Ten regular season. Like that was a thing halfway, you know, almost all the way through January. It's like they they are within striking distance. Now, granted, they probably were going to have to do something that they didn't hadn't proven they were capable of doing. But the point is, is that we were talking pretty highly about relatively speaking about Indiana and their big 10 performance at that point. And they just couldn't put it together. Um, And apart from, and apart from, you know, getting close to beating Wisconsin at home, they didn't get particularly close in the big games that, that they had uh, apart from Purdue, of course, but. And that I'm, I'm done rambling on, on the Hoosiers. And the shot that Xavier Johnson took. Come on. Oh, can we talk about that? Yes. Thank you. Lighten a fire. I mean, that all I thought was that's that's why IU is where IU is, is because that's the decision that got made at the end of that game. I don't have you don't you don't, you don't deserve a foul if you're looking for a foul on at the end of yeah, you just fair or not, you just gotta understand you're not gonna get it cold and you you know that's that's the difference between an NCAA tournament team and a not NCAA tournament team. And also the other thing I'll add that makes them even more of a, a loser in the NCAA tournament discussion is it doesn't help that other teams in your conference, most notably Michigan and Rutgers had really good weeks right. that are right there on the bubble with you mm-hmm. that not only are you competing against everybody else, but you are moving yourself down the pecking order in your own conference because some other teams were able to get the quality kind of wins that IU came so close, but couldn't manage. Yep. Sounds about right. All righty. Let's move on. Pretty. Um, and here's here's I want to start my this uh, this Coach K Duke UNC conversation. How, what what's your emotional reaction to K losing his last game at Cameron Indoor Stadium? Do you have an emotional reaction? Did or or if and if there was none from you, how did you feel about the way like the college basketball world responded to it? Because it was pretty, like, like I had kind of forgotten, and I'll be completely transparent, that I, family members who are Duke alum, I 
went to Butler and in the 2010 national championship game, I was rooting for Duke. So I am, so to act as though I am completely unbiased on the subject would be misleading. So I will readily admit to that, but I was, I, I'd forgotten how much the, that how much Duke is like the Dallas Cowboys from a, they got a lot of people who really love them, but if people don't, if you, but the people that don't like them, they hate them. And, and Kay is as a result is the guy who's been there for 42 years is completely synonymous with that because Duke 42 years ago was not the brand that you either loved or you hated like it is now. Um, I kind of forgotten that because it was, there was a lot of, a lot of either, you know, one or the other on the timeline rather than, than I expected and a lot more negativity than, than maybe I thought. Anyways, what was your, what was your reaction? I'm with you that I didn't think it was going to be that toxic. If only because I just didn't think people cared about Duke, North Carolina that way anymore. Mm. Right. Interesting. There's a, and, and Bomani, you know, I'm a big Bomani Jones guy. And he's been making this point for a while that right outside of Grayson Allen in this one and done era in particular, it's not like these guys have big forceful personalities that there's this strong anti-Zion Williamson coalition or anti-Paulo Bancaro coalition, you know, right. These aren't Christian Leitner, JJ Reddick, who kind of, in, I'm not trying to compare the two and say they're the same, but right, there was an, an understanding in decades gone by that when you went to Duke, you were inherent, you were taking up this mantle as the team that everybody despised, right? That there was something to that. And I guess maybe it's just all of those people who are older now. I, I, I didn't think it was going to be that aggressive and I and we were kind of texting back and forth I I was sort of I did feel sad I think it's unfortunate he lost his last game at camp at the same time I also do find it kind of amusing not in a cynical way of I wish harm on him Mm -hmm. but just the idea that this whole thing got built up and North Carolina was able to come in there and steal the show. And I, I, and I was also sort of torn about the, the coverage itself. And we were going back and forth about this. And so I wanted to, I think mm-hmm. I figured out where my ickiness came from. And I think it was from the lack of separation between the Duke stuff and the college basketball stuff. Right. There's a college basketball aspect to this because, like you said, Mike Krzyzewski is synonymous with Duke. Mm-hmm. I've got no issue with all of the panning to the players in the stands and bringing Jay Williams on at halftime. And I loved all of the different stats they had running at the ticker at the bottom of, you know, the most points scored by a Coach K player, most assists, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. What I had an issue with was 
turning on the end of the big of the Kansas Texas game when the Big 12 regular season title was more or less being decided and it was a split with a coach K cam before the game started of him just sitting there mm-hmm. and things and then I was going you know back and forth after the game I was watching MLS but I wanted to see some of the the post game celebration I guess ceremony is the better word Mm. and it was you know the alumni association whoever given him talking about how they're going to dedicate a bench to him on campus or something Mm -hmm. like that stuff I just to me that's Duke stuff that I don't really care about then there's the college basketball stuff which is obviously the history the impact he's had and I almost wish they would have done more with that during the game of and of course they're trying to get so much in and I'm sure they were right. Everybody was freaking out because when you stack these games back to back to back and one happens to go into overtime, now you're in big trouble. Right. <laughs> because they couldn't even start it on ESPN. So, and, and, and college basketball games just don't last two hours. Like right. they used to. in a perfect world, it's an hour and 57 minutes. Right. In a perfect world. Exactly. But, and so it's, but slots should be two and a half hours at this point. And if you, and you always have, you know, a, a, from one point to the other, you know, court report type type of team standing by in the studio to, right. you know, to fill the 30 minutes if necessary, whatever but, time is needed. Right. Right. Yeah. Does that, does that kind of make sense for some of my, and I, I, it's not anybody's fault. I don't know what, I mean, I don't know what you're supposed clearly you have to, he does like he deserves all of the stuff he was being honored with. It's a huge deal. I don't. It's. Not, I don't have some sort of better solution. I don't think anybody did anything wrong. It just felt kind of weird, and I feel like the players didn't know how to handle it either. Which again, it's not anybody's fault. I was just kind of. I wanted it. I guess I wanted it to be more about college basketball and his contributions to college basketball than just kind of a Duke thing, if that makes sense. Um, a which couple is, things, which is hard to separate because, sure, like you said, they're pretty much one in the same. Did, I was pretty surprised. Like, first of all, you're weird if you're given kids who who are upset after the game, like that you're like blasting them on social media. Now, ESPN should stop showing the video of like college students crying like maybe that should be a practice that we that we shy away from um but like people on twitter like and and like i have no issue putting people on blast here um but like the pacers beat writer just was the the entire time that this is happening is like you know these kids are crying i love it you know, like there was, there was so much basking in the fact that Kay lost his last game in England. Right. Okay. Jo- like joy in other people's misery. Yeah. Like, like you guys are weird, like freaking weird. And regardless of, so like it turned into, especially on social media, and this is why I hate social media with a burning passion and on a daily basis, you know, challenges my like, do you really want to have to engage with social media for the next 60 years of your life kind of thing uh, on a daily basis is because people are weird. And like, like, I'm not sure, like, I thought that maybe Kay, who is, and, and maybe it's because, maybe it's because he announced he's going to retire after the year. 
there are reasons that this has been a bigger deal than, and like, I'm not going to act like I was, I really understood Bob Knight retiring, like how big of a deal that would have been when he retired. Like, you know, at that point I just wasn't as plugged in, but like when Calipari retires, I'm going to be very curious to see how that, like, does he, do we know he's going to retire before he actually like play coaches his final game? Because like, K, whether you like Duke or not, is one of the three most important coaches to ever coach the game. Oh, he's probably, I mean. I mean, you're up there with Wooden. You're up there with, you know, you can, you know, I'm not trying to belittle the careers, but like from a, like he's won more more games than anybody else. He might be the most, and when you throw in the the USA gold medals and the, the impact he's had at the NBA quote-unquote impact he's had at the NBA level not to denigrate it but you know um yeah absolutely oh absolutely so I I thought that maybe that would be like I thought there would be more of an appreciation for Kay's career yeah than there actually was now you don't have to like Duke and you can be frustrated with the you being people not you in particular yeah yeah yeah. And, and you can be frustrated with the holier than thou nature with which ESPN broadcasted the game um, but I thought there would be a little bit more of like, I saw nothing about like, other than from the Duke men's basketball right. Twitter account, like, look at like what he did. And like the fact that you're in one place for 42 years is ridiculous, first of all, but to just sit back and appreciate what he did as a coach, there was zero of that zero. Yeah. And, and I was, I was a little surprised by that. And there was zero of that at the, and instead it was like, Oh, this is so poetic. Oh, I love this. Oh, I, this, Oh, I, that I was just, I was a little disappointed in the reaction. Like, are we to the point where we're so like, where we put so much, attention and value into saying something that's going to be risque and get a reaction from people that were incapable of appreciating all-time legends like that is that is what k is he is a legend of the game whether you're a duke fan or not and you would think that and like it was you know taken as an opportunity to bring up every little thing that coach k has ever done wrong like like everything like that we went the opposite direction on, on, I was just, I was a little disappointed. And again, a, a completely transparent, slightly unbiased Duke observer. Right. And, and I, I, I will willingly concede that, but I, I thought that he deserved treatment a little different than what he got, especially from the, you know, specifically from the masses of, social media at least from what i saw the most basic simplest way i can break down my thoughts is i never thought it was going to become a duke versus everybody thing. yeah and that's what it became it's pretty good it's a pretty good pretty good way to put it yep i yeah never in a million years did and you know my, my mom asked me while we were watching she said if if you're north carolina do you feel even slightly bad that if you beat him in your last game, I said, no, because no. you're North Carolina. And because you're trying to make the NCAA tournament and it's Duke. But if you're not North Carolina, 
Isn't it wild yeah. that UNC went 15 and five and the, and the ACC finished in second and we still are saying things like, yeah, winning at Duke, that's really helpful. Right. You know, it was like, yeah, anyway, yeah. I, complete right. sidetrack. Right. There's a difference to me. There's such a difference between just being a neutral observer or right. I mean, no, you don't need it. You can appreciate it. You don't need to be feeling bad about what you did. If you're North Carolina, right, you're there to right. play basketball. But yeah, I, I'm. I don't think you're off base. I could definitely tell when we were talking that some of your Duke history was showing through. I don't mean that as a criticism, but just that it was it was impacting you. And I thought it was I thought it was strange and disappointing too that we couldn't just be more civilized. And that's right. You you don't have to like K. You don't have yeah. to like Duke. I just I thought I was surprised by the reaction. Yeah. Because it's not that, like it's some sort of moral, I don't like what he stands for as a human being kind of thing. You know? Right. Right? It just, he, it's, I don't like what he represents as Duke, which is, yeah, strange. On the game itself, are, do you have any more thoughts on that part? I don't, I don't think so. Um, yeah, that's, that's the, that's the, 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 the last thing I'll say is that I just like, like I had multiple people text me saying like, wow, Duke and coach K are real full of themselves. I was like, yeah, I'd be real full of myself too. If I was at the top of a sport for 42 years. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and turned a no name school into the biggest right. program in college basketball. Right. Like, like, it, like it's, it's impossible to win nowadays. You're either confident, you're either not confident enough or you're cocky. You're either, you know, there, there's it's an it's an unobtainable happy medium that everybody wants but apparently there's no but like yeah 40 42 years like that's that's a long time to be to completely transform a a program into something that it simply was not when he got yeah. there but we do uh, a very bad job as a society of looking into gray areas we anyways. make things black and white and they're just not anyways uh talk to me about what actually happened before yeah, so, well, it, you know, about 12, 15 minutes in, I thought, oh, this is over. I'm not even going to watch this whole game. because I thought know, it was over, too. Paul I also – go ahead, sorry. I mean, Paulo Bancaro was doing that same thing where Leaky Black tried to guard him, and Leaky Black cannot guard Paulo Bancaro, and Paulo Bancaro goes downhill. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was funny that John Shire at halftime, Holly Rowe was talking to him, and she asked some question about Paulo. He mm-hmm. goes – yeah when he attacks the basket he's unstoppable i had never heard a coach say that about their own player before mm-hmm. he just said yeah no, no there's nothing you can do right he, he did a good job getting downhill it's over <laughs> i found that so i found that very amusing but then so I, you know i wanted to give credit to loyal and drake's defense in the NBC title game that was defensive shout out one defensive shout out two brady manic in the second half completely changed that game because he did something he had not been able to do in the first three halves these teams played against each other, which was somewhat stay in front of Paolo and make him at least shoot over him and be a physical presence instead of getting blown by. Mm. Because that's what changed. All of a sudden, Paolo was not getting to the basket and getting wherever he wanted all the time. Mm. Never in a million years did I think Brady Manning could do that, but he something about playing Duke brings out the best in him because he was phenomenal both games and 
he he found a way to to bother him defensively, and then that allows you to put Leaky Black on AJ Griffin, mm-hmm. who is not as tall as I thought he was. So Leaky Black is able to guard him, and then all of a sudden you're in trouble from a matchup standpoint, which is the exact opposite of last time where I said, I don't know what you're supposed to do with those two guys because North Carolina's team is not built to guard them. Right. And Brady Manick more or less single-handedly changed that with what he was able to do defensively, in the, particularly in the second half when they put that run together and took control of the game. Yep. I think it didn't cross my mind for a single second until 12 minutes ago in the second half that Duke was going to lose the game. Yeah. Like, like it never crossed my mind, not because I didn't think that North Carolina wasn't capable, but it was like never once was I like, oh yeah, like Duke could lose. (laughs) And then it became clear in the second half that like, oh yeah, they could. And then it became like, oh, 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 they're going to. And anyways, it was just not something that I had like, like I wasn't thinking about the game before it started in any way, shape or form as now granted there wasn't a ton of like, okay, what needs to happen on the floor here? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but even, but like at the beginning, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, this is this is going the way it's supposed to. And then it just, it kind of, and then UNC got back into it in the first half and then it was all them in the second half. And it was, yeah, I wasn't expecting that to be honest with you, but, um, but yeah. And, the other, the, go ahead. Right, go ahead. No, I have more post-game things to say ah. that I forgot about, so continue. And also from a from a coaching standpoint, Hubert Davis got exactly what he wanted offensively. That was, at least in my opinion, how he envisioned this team working. And Caleb Love was not great, which is a credit to how good everybody else was that they were able to win this game without Caleb Love being one of the best players on the floor. That had a lot to do with with R.J. Davis and particular Armando Baycott, who, despite being in foul trouble, was plus 24. I mean, he was spectacular just doing those little things. Mm-hmm. I just, you hadn't seen something quite like this, but they, right, they spread the floor. The guards were able to get into the middle of the lane and – Caleb Love did manage to get his 22 points on four of 17 shooting, but they, they got into the, the guard. They do couldn't keep the guards in front of them. You could put Armando Bacon in a pick and roll. So you had two issues there. And then you had Brady Manning sitting in the corner. It was a very sort of, you know, your traditional NBA offense that Hubert Davis wanted to install. That's difficult to guard. If you can't keep people in front of you, Duke couldn't keep people in front of them. And North Carolina's players kept making plays. And so that was the other takeaway I had here moving forward for Duke heading into the tournament. I've been saying it all year and I'll say it again, whether this team is going to make a final four, win a national championship or not, it's going to come down to defense. They could not keep the ball in front of them at mm-hmm. all. And it was a major problem. Yep. That's just kind of been the conversation all year, right? When they lock in and early on they were locked in and it just hasn't, been the the case all season and right if they have a good three weeks on the defensive end they could win the national championship but um if not then maybe then they could find themselves in a situation where they don't win multiple games uh in in, in a couple weeks 
Okay. The last thing I'll say. Um, the most annoying thing to come from the Jawan Howard, uh, excuse me. Yes. No, Jawan Howard, Jawan Howard, Jawan Morgan. I wrote an article for uh, the, you know, local radio station here in Indy. And for the entire article, I called him Jawan Morgan. And I was, I was proofreading it. I was like, what am I doing here? Like, I don't know what the issue is. Um, but the, the worst thing to come from the Jawan Howard issue was that we now overanalyze every <laughs> single handshake ever. Yeah, I go back to the film. Like, like literally there were people studying the film. Like, and, and we make these like, like you, you see like people calling programs classless because they're mad that they just lost to their rival and now they're forced to go and shake hands. Like, like that's silly. Like to, to make overarching state statements about how somebody reacts to losing a rivalry game at home. 12 seconds after it's over. Come on. I'm so I'm, I'm, I'm officially over the handshake line, not because I have an issue with the actual handshake line, but because like people are losers and need to like worry about something else. Like it's just not that big of a deal. So what an assistant coach blew past an ad- a, another assistant coach. Like, yeah, is it a great look? No, but like that, I mean, you would think that nobody has ever done anything slightly out of character in the frustration of a loss, whether it's an athletic endeavor or otherwise. Right, that, that emotion just has no role whatsoever. Like that is, and, and that's that is a result of what happened with Jawan Howard. Like because people are now paying attention, and it's just, I'm I'm over it. I'm over it. Alrighty, it's whatever. It's fine. Anyways, where do you want to go next? Shall we go to the Big Ten? Yes, most probably most interesting end to the season. Uh, well, I, I was sure that Wisconsin had this thing under control mm-hmm. when Trey McGowan's did the weird elbow thing to Johnny Davis, and then they took control, and then all of a sudden they didn't have control again, and I mean, it took until the very end, but here is your Nebraska looks like a semi-competent basketball team. Far, far. No, no. The story here is that Wisconsin – the story here is how good Johnny Davis is and how different of a team Wisconsin looks like when they don't have him. And and how important of a storyline this is going to be heading into the Big Ten tournament, the NCAA tournament, depending on – what his health is because that was just a weird and it wasn't that because the the injury was the lower body injury it wasn't the elbow he took i don't know what i don't know what mcgowan's was doing Mm -hmm. it was a a very strange play he just kind of put his elbow in there but davis had already slipped and it looked it's yeah it's one of those scary kind of non-contact it wasn't non-contact but sort of in that same vein of just body parts move weird ways and it freaks you out right and so i still thought they would be fine in this game right the question is sort of moving moving 
forward. But then Alonzo Verge Jr. plays out of his mind. Chucky Hepburn tries to play hero again. I, it was a good look. It looked a little rushed still. I thought they could have maybe taken a little more time, but mm-hmm. this is one of the, one of the lessons I think we learned here. And even this applies to Illinois some too. It is difficult to win on senior night. I don't know. I don't know if there needs to be some sort of large reevaluation of how we do this, or if this is just a bizarre season, because sometimes it's the opposite where teams just come out and play, you know, the best game of their season because they're not about to lose on senior night. Right. But between Wisconsin throwing away an outright regular season title to Nebraska, what happened with Duke, Illinois almost blowing their share of a big time regular season title, a number one overall seed. Kansas almost, you know, just down the list of all of these teams who had huge games and did not show up particularly well. Hopefully, the larger point here is hopefully Johnny Davis is okay. And yes, it's very clear how important he is to to this Wisconsin team. But give Nebraska credit. They're fine. I mean, it took them all season, but finally this last week or so, they've started to make progress. You know, it, it... But this is this is why Wisconsin is still just you know has a share of the Big Ten title in their thirtieth at Kemba, mm-hmm. because this is right. There are other quality college basketball players on the team, but they have. But without that's a fun game. Where does Wisconsin finish in this conference without Johnny Davis? Yeah, see, I would say somewhere smack dab in the middle. They went 15 and five. What do you think? You think that's worth five wins? They go 10 and 10? 12 and 8, 11 and 9. Like, I'm not sure they're any better than a bubble team without Johnny Davis. I think they would be on the right side of the bubble, but not by much. Which is just a wild thing. This is all in the name of look how good Johnny Davis has been. But with all due respect to Nebraska, Nebraska sucks. And if your team is actually. like, like if I'm a coach that's about to play Wisconsin in the NCAA tournament, I am literally like, like I don't care if it takes three guys. I'm making Brad Davis and make shots. Yeah, I'm because it just they are simply and shouts Nebraska for the end of the, their three game winning streak at the end of the season. Shouts all on the road, by the way. Yeah, and I mean by the end of but, this game, they were without. Both McGowan's and no, Alonjo Birds filed out at the very end, but it's not the stud freshman didn't play, and then right. his brother got tossed. You know, it's not like they it, it wasn't this. Oh well, okay, here are the, these three guys that were supposed to carry Nebraska, and they all had great games. That's not exactly how this played out either. Right. Yeah, you you got to win this game if you're Wisconsin, plain and simple. I don't care what happens to Johnny. Anyway, um. That was right. I didn't even like it, wasn't even on my radar. I was like, okay, yeah, Wisconsin's gonna win and they'll take a regular season. Also, like Wisconsin, two years, two out of the last three years, unexpectedly is a fair word to say, mm-hmm. grabbed or were they outright two years ago? Did they outright win the Big Ten two years ago? Or I believe that was the three way tie. Was it the three way tie? It, like they everybody tied like 14 and six, right? Hold on. Yeah, I can go back. I'm, I'm looking here. Yes, three-way tie. 
Michigan State, Maryland, and Wisconsin. They yeah. all went 14 and 6. But I believe um, Wisconsin was the one seed. I believe you're for right. What that's the point I'm getting to is that they've done it the two of the last three years and then were 10 and 10 the year that I picked them to win. The yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Greg Gard. Anyways. Um, anything else in the Big Ten? Illinois is lucky that Iowa couldn't hit a free throw. Hmm. Yeah, it was honestly probably the worst free throw shooting performance I have ever seen at the end of that game. Eight of 21 from the line. No, excuse me, 10 of 22 from the line. I mean. And Keegan I, Murray made six of them. Yeah, right. Keegan Chris, Murray was, he Chris, was doing all right. Chris and Tony, Chris Murray and Tony Perkins were the only other two guys to take a free throw in this game. And they were a combined four or 14. Yeah. It was just unbelievable. They kept getting what they kept getting fouled every single possession. And it's not like Illinois was scoring a lot of points and they just couldn't hit free throws. Right. And Illinois made enough plays down the stretch to survive and get themselves the big down title. They feel like they deserved last year. So congratulations to them. Congratulations to Wisconsin. That is not exactly how we thought this would all end up, but hey, here we are. That's why we play the games, right? Yeah. All righty. Where do you want to go next? Got a couple other places to touch on to still. Yeah, maybe the Big, Big 12, 12. The SEC. Because that's, yeah, Big 12, because that's the only one that had any kind of major, major drama. Yep. Last defensive shout out of the day. Courtney Ramey. How this man is not talked about as one of the best defenders in the country is beyond me. I don't care what he did for the rest of the year. He shut down Ochai Abaji, the unanimous Big 12 player of the year, twice. Mm -hmm. And by shut down, I mean literally shut down, as in he couldn't make a basket. And Courtney Ramey also was putting work in offensively. He was the best player on the court. I felt so bad for that dude. He twice has done that. And they they just Kansas home, Big 12 game, overtime. They just found a way. And then Baylor does their thing. And that's that's the other thing I want to say is just I'm glad Scott Drew won Big 12 coach of the year because managing all of those injuries and getting that team back together after those two home losses mm-hmm. to find a way to get back tied with Kansas. When we kept saying, there's just no way, there's no way anybody's going to catch them. Mm-hmm. And it's not like Kansas threw this thing away. Now there's of course a game or two. Of, I'm sure Bill Self would like back, but every, you know, that Scott drew wants those two home games back too. Right. It's not like they fell, Kansas fell apart down the stretch or anything. And Baylor just found a way to answer the bell again. I continue to just be amazed with what he is doing with that program. So I wanted to give them a shout out to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. I'm infuriated by David McCormack because sometimes he is non existent. Sometimes he uses all of that physical prowess to yep. go to the free throw line 10 times and have 22 and 10. Yep. Just it's so know. frustrating. Like, like you got 11 total points from the rest of the Kansas starting lineup, not named David McCormick, 11. 
and for now, granted, Jalen Wilson came off the bench. So his 17, 13, two and two are technically bench points, but like he played 37 minutes and, and part of it's because you got right. Senior day is part of it. But the point being that there are some times where I'm like, David McCormick, this was the preseason big 12 player of the year, not Ochai Baji. And then sometimes he does this. I'm like, yes, this, what you're doing right now. Anyways. Um, that was the only thing I had there. Um, I'm just so, I don't, I don't know if disappointed is not the, disappointed is the right word. Texas is a perfect example of why, and we sort of hinted at this in the preseason, but like why bringing in a bunch of top transfers doesn't always immediately, you know, mm-hmm. translate into success. I mean, we talked about in the preseason, they brought like 85 points and 27 rebounds and 20 assists worth of production to the team. And they just were never right. 10 and eight in the conference, 21 and 10. They spent most of the year in the top 25. And it's like, it's not like it was a failure, but it was pretty clear all year that against, except for their win against Kansas, that against the other, you know, the three other best teams in this conference, that it was clear that they were just a step behind. Yep. And in, in coming into this year, there was just so much, much bigger expectations than them winning only two thirds of their games in, in the regular season. Anyways, that's the only other thing I'll say. Shouts to Scott Drew, shouts to the Baylor Bears um, for, yeah, like you said, doing something that I thought it, you know, after they, But, you know, they go beat Kansas, beat Texas, you know, late in the season and shouts to them. Also, shouts Providence. There's not too much to say about the Big East, but that's up there, the most unexpected regular season titles I can ever remember. And not like – and what's really even more – what's even more impressive – Is it's not it's they didn't win it because like Villanova had a down year and they only needed to win right and that they've they had three games canceled so they only played four 17 conference games yeah. so they win by um win percentage rather than by total number of wins right Villanova won two more games in conference just the right uh, answer but um Especially at least at this, you know, right. If team plays seven games, I'm not, I'm not trying yeah, to give okay, them. Yeah, right. Then maybe there's a discussion. But, but when you play 17, it, it, I have no issue with it whatsoever. But the point being is that it's not like Providence won the conference because everybody just kind of beat up on each other and they won it, you know, at 14 and six. Yeah. Or Gillespie, 16, or, or Gillespie missed half the season or something. Right. Right. Villanova won 16 and four. Yeah. Villanova's won seven of their last eight with the only loss being against again you know at UConn it's not like Villanova stumbled to the end here right they had some they had right they lost to Marquette twice and to Creighton to start the but it was a completely respectable performance from Villanova in the Big East Villanova as of right now is a top 10 Kempom team but um so that that's an impressive part here. And to the to your point of surprising, it's like no, they, they didn't. 
they didn't just kind of stumble a little less than everybody else. They were just really freaking good from the very beginning of conference play and uh, are absolutely deserving. And, and they did it and they lost to Villanova in their last game. Like, like they controlled it to such an extent that they lost to Villanova twice and were still able to, and still able to do it. Yeah. Now part of that, right. Was the games that they had that in theory, right. Had they, but, I'm going to take my chances with Providence being able to beat teams in the Big East, not named Villanova. So, Pac-12, didn't think it was going to be decided by three games, much less Arizona being the team three games ahead of everybody else. they're so good. They're so good. I I don't know. Yeah, there's not too much else to say there. I just wanted to point that one out. So, so I – Last week was texting with uh, he, the pride and joy of Heat Check College Basketball and our uh, a friend of ours, uh, Lucas Harkins at Heart of Art Sports on Twitter. You know, he really needs the shameless plug from this podcast, so I'm glad I was able to give that to him. <laughs> Anyways, I, I was texting him, I guess it was, maybe it was a little, about a week ago or so ago. And I asked him because this was like when this was when Duke in the first half of their game against, I don't know. I remember who it was. They were like eight of 12 from the three point line. And so it was like, okay, yeah, if Duke's going to do that, then they're they're, there. Yeah. Let's. Oh, it was against Syracuse. It was at Syracuse when they were just absolutely. I asked him who, if I gave him a hundred bucks to bet on a national champion, where did you put the money? And then of course he put it on four teams and, and put different dollar amounts. I told him it was, he was a loser. He I told him he was a loser. Um, but the point being is that he he was like, I really, really like Arizona. And, and I told him, it, you know, I, I, getting to the point where, like, I kind of feel like it's either going to be Gonzaga or a weird team. Um, but Arizona has done everything to suggest that uh, that they should be heavily considered as one of the two or three favorites to win the national championship because they win a lot of games. They top 15 in offensive and defensive uh, efficiency. Um, It's just, they do a lot of really, really good things. Anyways, the point being is that all of this to say them going 18 and two in conference and 28 and three, and like UCLA having like a respectable year, finishing top ten at at, at Kempom and not even sniffing the regular season Pac-12 title was not something I saw coming. Because yeah. UCLA has been right. Was I incorrect in my uh, insistence of UCLA being one of the three best teams in the sport? Uh, it seems that way, yes. But they also finished eighth at, at Kempom, right? So it's not like they had a bad it's not season. Like they were underwhelming. Right. They, they just weren't were, as good as some people thought they were going to be. They are yeah. also a top 15 team in both offensive and defense, defensive efficiency. They have been probably right in between. They've been right in between the people who were really high on them and the people who inexplicably had them like 15th. They've been aggressively, aggressively good, top just 10. not, just not elite. <laughs> um, 
but the point being is that I mean Arizona was that good that that UCLA team never even like when we by the time we got to you know February 1st it was like okay yeah they're just not going to win the conference and it's not because they're playing poorly it's just because Arizona is just not going to lose they're not going to lose more than a couple games in in conference play final thing I'll say on them from a roster construction standpoint to me they're kind of the opposite of last year's Baylor like last year's Baylor was all these guys who can switch defensively and are really good in isolation and shoot the lights out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this Arizona team is all of the, the really big athletic dudes who block your shots with your go-to guard who can get you 25 on any night mm-hmm. with some shooters around him, some defensive guys on the perimeter, Dale and Terry, who just does everything. And just the, one of those key glue guys that gets underappreciated They've got eight guys that make an impact every single night. They just kind of, they're the big bad version of last year's Baylor. I almost feel like where they, they, they get to you because they can do all of the stuff that makes life difficult with their size and their athleticism that Baylor Uh could do because they were so small and versatile. Right. (laughs) Right. Not that they're not that they play the exact same way, but that kind of, that thought started creeping into my mind. You know, there are two losses in conference play, two like stinkers. Yeah. They have two 16 point losses. Other than that, their, their SEC, I mean, excuse me, their Pac 12, like their, their win totals and the points by which they won, like we're talking. 95 79 76 65 76 55 82 64 85 57 96 71 lose by 16 then win by 11 10 9 12 12 24 13 14 then win by 3 then win by 20 then lose by 16 then they end the season winning by 20 12 and 28 to like, me, they have they have a very strong argument to be the number two seed if they went overall number two overall seed if they win the Pac-12 tournament. Like wild, yeah. Just out of nowhere, like like they lose. They had twenty plus point wins in both games prior to their sixteen point losses. Anyways, um, with that being said, Tommy Lloyd, coach of the year, as far as I'm concerned. Um, no argument here. Hammerhead Cooley, one of the two. Yeah. Oh, shouts to Ed. Shouts to Ed. His his still sub thirty five Ken Palm team. Mm-hmm. Whatever, whatever Ken Pomeroy. You're having a weird year, brother. You're having can a I, very weird year. Can I read you a weird fact about the SEC standings? Yeah, tell me. This is really. I mean, Auburn did what Auburn was supposed to to clinch it out, right? And they were the best team in the conference, so there's not too much there, but. So Arkansas finished two games behind Auburn. Kentucky and Tennessee were sandwiched in between, mm-hmm. which seems fairly reasonable at the beginning, with the, except, with the exception of Auburn, right? But if you said those are the best four teams in the conference, that doesn't seem all that out of the ordinary. Now, a month ago, that would have been very strange, the Tennessee and Arkansas aspect of that. Yep. But here they go. <laughs> the next five teams, nine and nine. Love it. We talked about maybe they've got, you know, five, six, seven teams. Nah, they've got four in Alabama. Yep. <laughs> Whatever you want to categorize Alabama as. Yep. 
I just thought that I found that very amusing that there was just no separation whatsoever. LSU, Alabama, none of the misses, you know, Florida was one of those teams, I think. Yep. Yep. Texas AM, they're just all right there. Nine South nine. Carolina went nine. Yep. Nine South Carolina, conference. nine and nine. You know how many times I've talked about South Carolina in the last yeah. four months? There were just four yeah. teams that fin- were either really good all year in Auburn and Kentucky or finished really strong in Tennessee and Arkansas. And then. Yep. That was it. What a, what a, like, if you told me that Auburn was only going to win this conference by one. Yeah. I would, I'd have been surprised. Yep. Like even as, even as recently as like three weeks ago, mm-hmm. which is there are plenty of basketball to play there. I understood, but yeah. Um, yeah. I can't, they, I can't go to bat for Auburn the same way I did. Before. Relatively speaking, struggled to the line in a way I didn't think they were going to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, almost lost to Mississippi state as well. Like it almost was like, we're almost talking about Auburn, not winning the conference outright. If they don't find a way to beat Mississippi state on, on the road, they won by 13 overtime game. That's tough. They, they, they scored 20 in the five minute overtime period. That's, that's tough. Um, anyways, there you go. You got anything else? No, now we got to sit there and dissect brackets and rationalize the irrational things that are going to happen and then prepare to do it again next week. Oh, it's the most wonderful time of the year, <laughs> isn't it, Josh? Um, yeah, that's the plan for Wednesday. We'll, uh, we'll preview conference tournaments. They'll be underway by the time that pod goes up, but for the most part, the teams that actually have a chance of winning the conference, you know, we're talking a lot about, you know, like the big East eight, nine, seven, 10 matchups, the, you know, in these 14 team conferences, yeah, the conferences you know, that 11, can't have pretty numbers. Yeah. I mean like the 14 team conferences have like, I think like 13 of the 14 teams get four, just like four buys. They just get just straight to the quarterfinals, like 13 of them. Right. That's how, that's how it works. I believe I'm pretty sure. Um, but um, that bad joke aside, uh, we will preview as things get underway, but hopefully before anything uh, wild happens, um so that's the plan for we'll record that wednesday afternoon wednesday evening ish and uh and we'll bring that to you as we get ready for perhaps the the best two weeks of of uh certainly the basketball year and there will be people who will go to bat for it being the best two week stretch of just sports in the uh in the entire uh, sports calendar anyways we'll do that on wednesday um josh it's good to be back with you pleasure um and we will uh we will continue uh the train i guess that was the last one and losers wasn't it i suppose it would have been one more one more do we get one more i mean well because we'll have to decide i feel like we have done it in the past i feel but perhaps we have but you know by monday the winners and losers are very very obvious i I think we can pass on it this year because we're going to talk about the winners because they're going to be the teams that do well in the term unless i think we can just yeah i'd say i'd say let's call it into winners and losers this year if that's okay we'll we'll shout to winners and losers (laughs) r.i.p tentatively (laughs) temporarily that's the word Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast, Now Podcast, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. Check out the Podbean 
We'll be back on Wednesday. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh East Josh, and we will see you later.